you have any music you want to recommend that's legal? It has to be legal. <laughs> Which is, makes it hard. Um, I'm listening to a lot of uh, Django Reinhardt right now. He was a jazz guitarist in the 20s and 30s. And he plays, you, if, you, if you hear it, you will go, ah, it's that kind of jazz music. I'm Alex Harms, just like always. And I'm Carrie Miller, as I have been for quite a while. <laughs> so tell us who you are. Tell us about you. What's a carry? <clears throat> wow, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I like to think of carry as um, a very uh, multi-talented, energetic, um, thoughtful, introverted extrovert who happens oh, yeah. to program computers from time to time. Introverted extrovert. I like that very much. Yeah. What's the, the, the term that I've been seeing lately is the ambivert. Yeah. I like yours better though. Yeah, more and more people decide like, oh, it's maybe it's a continuum and I'm not an extrovert or an introvert. I'm uh, stealing it. It's fine. Yeah, always when I do the um Myers Briggs thing, mm -hmm. the, like nerd horoscope, whatever. Um it it's right on the line between and it depends on the day, whether it's introvert or extrovert. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, so what are you excited about? Well, today, not a lot. I've been up since 4 a.m. Um, I, I, I struggle with insomnia is one of my uh, wonderful gifts that I, I bring to the world. Um, so I'm frequently awake at 3 or 4 in the morning, which happened today. So, um, But in general, I'm really excited about what's going to happen next. In a general sense, just whatever, just whatever's yeah. going on. Like, you know, that's the thing that like everybody's, you know, you know what. I, I think as I've I've gotten older, especially, um, you know, I've had my I'm I'm, I hopefully I'm coming out of having my midlife crisis as I've turned forty and forty one now, which you know isn't isn't that old. But um, my. Um, my mom's relative, my mom's siblings, um, we've lost a number of them this past year. Mm. So it's kind of focused, you know, combined with, you know, turning 40 um, with, wow, you know, I, I, I am mortal and sort of looking ahead and, and trying to say, well, how many productive years do I have? You know, I have like a retirement planner, like, you know, say, well, you have so and so, you know, you have such, such many, you know, productive years left. And, you know, I was a little bristly at the idea of, you know, having a productive year, you know, like, you know, like, well, I'm going to be unproductive when I'm right. not working. And like, that's kind of weird. Um, but yeah. how many years of worthwhile life do you have? Yeah. Life? Like worthwhile to who? Like it's all worthwhile to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think even if you're not like producing something, you're still productive. If you're, you know, participating or you're, you're, you're having a life, there's, there's always something there. You're contributing. Exactly. Yeah. But I think the thing that I've, I've contemplated about, about um, you know, mortality is not, I won't have more time, but 
there's so many more cool things that are going to happen after I'm no longer here and able to experience it in a direct sentient way that, you know, that's the part that, you know, makes me sad. Because I'm just like, oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's like Christmas toys. I'm not going to get to open. Right. Um, Maybe that's a little morbid, but. Well, no, I mean, uh, well, don't get me started. I, I don't think the reason I'm anti-butterflies and rainbows, I don't really think you can have joy if you're trying to trying to deny all that stuff that's real, you know? Like, uh, I, I don't want to try to frame the conversations that are grounded in geek joy in a way that says, you know, we don't ever discuss anything hard because... How are you going to get anywhere that way? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was sick through all of 2015. I had three surgeries and I was confined to bed for a while. And yeah. um, that topic of mortality came up quite a bit. <laughs> Especially like, uh, you know, what else do I get to do? Like even I come to terms with the idea that I only have so many things I get to do and so many things I get to see. Mm -hmm. Uh Right, and then I'm not here, and the world's doing other stuff. Um, but I, I spent some time not knowing if I was ever going to create another thing. Hmm. Not knowing if it was this. Maybe this is it. I'm done. Because at some point you're done, right? Mm -hmm. At some point you're never going to take another bike ride. And at some point you're never going to write another program. And when I was in bed and not able to get out. Uh, and not knowing how that was going to get resolved. I did not know if I was ever going to even walk or many of the things that I'm used to doing. And that was a really interesting, um, that was an interesting few weeks. I got to do some contemplation. <laughs> uh, yeah, so now I'm really, everything is juicy, you know, it's delicious. I'm, you know, I'm making things. And yeah. it's really awesome. It's just like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just so much more exciting and marvelous having come from such a recent um, visit mm -hmm. with in the land of like, maybe I'm done. So almost the, uh, like, like finding that appreciation for, for it. Yeah. Again. I'm not done. It's so cool. <laughs> I think it's cool. I'm glad you're not done. Really, yeah. So I'm making a podcast, for example. Yeah, and here we are. Are you enjoying? It? Are you finding joy in making the podcast? It is so fun. Yeah, I even like the editing, which is weird. Uh, I had someone ask about um, OS feels. Oh yeah, an episode, and I'm I realized sorry. I was going to have you on here, and we could talk oh. about. Happy to talk about OS feels. <laughs> so, what prompted it? How did it happen? Um, well, we should probably say what OS feels is. Sure, OS feels um, is the shorthand uh, name for Open Source and Feelings, which is a conference um, that I help organize up here in Seattle. And the elevator pitch is basically um, it's a conference that focuses on the intersection of technology and the humanities. Um, with a special emphasis on 
people as feeling beings, um, as auto autonomous and distinct individuals, as well as um, how we exist within open source and how open source is used um, as a piece of technology uh, to serve the humanities, whether they're you know the, the artistic humanities or um, our civil lives through our communities and the groups that uh, we take part in our, our neighborhoods and communities through. Yeah, so how did it how Sounds did it, fancy. Doesn't that sound fancy? That was very fancy. That was that was um, and and complete. Um I mean expressive. I don't know. Or a good picture. Uh it was really a beautiful thing also. Oh thank you. See, like all of these, you know, tech people coming together and just talking about real important stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of tech conferences where it's almost like, um, you know, I'm sorry we have people talks to, don't pay too much attention to those because they're not very important. OS Fields was like the opposite of that. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was really, you know, for a while we were flirting with saying, you know, with advertising that hard talks were welcome. You know, or, or technical talks were also welcome. Um, and I don't, we just didn't we didn't get a lot of uh technical talks pitched at us that seemed to fit with you know the goals of what we wanted but you know certainly we'd, we'd be open to it if someone came up with a good one that actually had some code i don't think there was a single slide over two days in any speaker pre pre presentation that really had code on it Not wow really. that's amazing yeah it was it was basically um you know we a group of us were talking about um you know, the idea of having uh, conferences in Seattle for a while. You know, Seattle is such a tech hub on the West Coast, and yet there were no um, there were no community conferences. There's a few conferences that are, you know, done by the big companies up here, like Google and, you know, Facebook, um, Amazon, Microsoft. But they've tended to move their big conferences to Vegas, you know, they're like not Seattle, they're not part of the community, and there's just not a lot of community focused stuff. Um, and the organizers, as we got together and said, well, look, we want to do a conference because we want to do something for our community and create, help to create the community that we want to be here. And we're going to do it by making a conference that's the conference we want to go to. Wow. So we took everything that we listed, everything we love about other conferences, and we just tried to turn it to 11. That's amazing. And and the thing that was really, I knew something was missing, but I, what I really was trying to say is that it was all developers. I mean, I assume it was all developers. It may be, maybe not all developers, but it was definitely not the um, sort of, you go to a conference, it's either an agile conference that's all business and has a few developers on the sides, but all the people talks are people who are not devs. Mm -hmm. And or you go to a, a dev conference and and there's still there's product owners and business people and it was really cool to just be able to to get together with technical people and talk about feelings. That that's what was different. I don't know if that makes any sense. No that that it totally does. I mean, there's a certain, um, you were saying earlier about how we, there's always this apology for the soft talks in mm -hmm. some ways. And it, it feels that way um, that if you're a developer and you give a, a talk on people or feelings or interactions, um, 
that yeah there's you you almost apologize for it um we certainly don't seem to value it in the same way i'd like to think that's changing i'd like to think that um um in my communities anyway as as developers gain more experience you know they're seeing they're seeing the value of people and those soft talks more and more i want that to be true so i guess it is <laughs> i thought it was really cool experience and i heard from uh you haven't heard this episode yet because it's not out yet um but the feedback that uh, we got on the podcast was a, about it having a ripple effect. Someone who'd never heard of the conference or hadn't really understood what it was about right. started hearing about the experience people had there and started watching talks and and even that changed their trajectory. You know, now they're reading books about empathy and so I think it, I think it was a really effective. Um, event and I'm, I'm really happy that it exists yeah that's really cool it's um it's kind of strange as a um you know you know i do a lot of conference speaking and so when you're doing that you know you're you're fully a participant in many many ways right you're almost you're almost an owner of the content and the experience for other people um in, in that you have a certain there's a certain amount of like performance, you know, like you're you, helping to build something that right. people are taken away. Right. And as an organizer, there's a little bit of that, but it's more that you creating, you're just creating a framework for other people to weave some magic for a while and creating a space for people. And it's really the attendees that made open source and feelings so great. You know, the speakers were awesome, but the speakers are also there as attendees and the attendees brought that energy and acceptance to, to the place and they're the yeah, ones who really made it awesome you know i we just created the space for for this event to happen you got uh was it a couple hundred people yeah just shy just shy of 200 200 devs approximately who are willing to come together and talk about feelings like that i just found that kind of mind-blowing and i have this internal message you're not allowed to talk about that you're not allowed to talk about that and every time i've talked about stuff i find out no it's actually okay people do want to talk about this stuff uh -huh. but um and we get a mixed message about it definitely there's a lot of tech conferences that just don't even entertain soft talks at all because they're not interesting they're not where the meat is right Mm -hmm. But when I think about even the technical talks that I most respond to and what I see other people responding to, it's always um, the, the speaker is coming from a place of passion or it's something they care about or it's something they're engaged with. Like they're bringing themselves to it in a real authentic way. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that that authenticity can inform and make a safe space for vulnerable topics, you know, or, or things that that when yeah. we're we're getting up and we're saying something about ourselves that's honest and true. Um, I think 
that that authenticity has to um, it acts like a like a cushion for us maybe, um, and it it helps inform the audience to to be accepting. Yeah, I think so, and and connection is what we really want, right? Like, it's not the thing we talk about, but it's but it's really fundamental. Mm-hmm. We we grow up in school and they say food, water, and shelter is what you need, and it just leaves out connection because it's invisible to us. It's not we don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we even introvert or extrovert we we are social creatures you know we're we're wired to seek out community and connection and it means it comes in different forms for for different people but you know we're still looking for it well and i don't know i can't point to it i i pick up this message from the culture that you know the best tech talk the person is basically removed. You're, you're a polished, clean, you know, mm. image that has no personality, no quirks, no mistakes, no anything like that. Just a very clean, polished, well-rehearsed um, sort of interface mm-hmm. between the audience and some technical facts. Right? It's like the ideal tech uh, talk is going to be here is some information about how to do a technical thing and uh, a delivery that's not so boring that you fall asleep but doesn't have any personality. That's the ideal, and I don't understand why it's the ideal because it's not actually fun to watch <laughs> or be involved in, and it doesn't create the sort of, you know, the, the awesome talks that people talk about are not, are not that sort of talk, and yet we still keep it as the ideal mm-hmm. in some weird way. Yeah, and we we tell new speakers, yeah, that you're just an API for this information. Oh, yeah. I have actually heard that, literally heard that. Yeah, that's somebody gave me that advice once, you know, as a new speaker. And I was Uh like, that doesn't feel right to me. And you know what? The API is supposed to be really clean and, you know, you Mm -hmm. get straight to the info. You don't get any extraneous crap, right? I understand, yeah. No, but that's not how we hear things. That's not how we find out things from people. No. And I think that's the um, we we find greater truths when there's when there's a person involved there, and they're bringing something unique to it. Lots um, of complexity. You may know that I am a huge Shakespeare fan. I love Shakespeare, um, and I can sit through the worst high school production of Midsummer Night Dream. Um, or you know Romeo and Juliet, or you know pick pick the the stereotypical high school bad production, um, because there's there will always be a moment in that show where the words that I know by heart, you know this this poetry that was written 500 years ago, um, 400 years ago, goes away, and there's that moment where that person, the actor or actress, says that one line, and it's coming from them. You know, and that's that's what kind of I live for because like, oh, there's a new truth here to be uncovered. There's something something interesting in this story. Right. You know, the, as as APIs, we're really complicated, and and that's the that's the interesting part. It's the fun part. Mm-hmm. Because you get 
everything I say has a has a hundred meanings behind it, right? It has an expression of how I feel about it in my body language, um, an expression of who I am as a person, an expression of what I've gone through to get to this place in life, and um, and then you as a listener, you bring who you are and what you know about things, and it just creates something that's completely new. It's the opposite of a beautiful clean api right and yet somehow despite all that we managed to communicate something hopefully across this you know this chasm this is a very existential topic as well isn't it yes really. how we, <laughs> you know how do we communicate when we can never understand each other we can never have the same experience at any moment and yet we're still able to share things and we're still able to communicate and make these connections between people. I was just wondering, um, what's it like to overhear conversation between you and me where we're trying to express these things clearly and they're very fuzzy, unclear things. <laughs> <laughs> but the interesting thing is like, even as we're, we fumble towards trying to say hard things to each other, um, the royal we, or <laughs> the unroyal we, even as we struggle to say hard things to each other or fuzzy, ambiguous topics, you know, that we're trying to express something, as long as, as we can be um, confident, or comfortable in that ambiguity to know that like I'm trying to say something to you about my heart and or how I feel and you're not gonna get it and that's fine and I have to be okay with that, that that you're gonna understand and I trust that you're gonna understand half of it and hopefully the half that I think you understand is matches up somewhat with the half that you think you understand and we can keep coming back and talking about things, you know, in different ways. And, you know, it's not that perfect information back and forth. You know, you, you've asked me for a set of records. <laughs> I may give you five this time and I'll give you two next time. And maybe you understand one of them or three of them or whatever, but that's okay because that's, that's just, you know, we're, we're error checking back and forth as we, we drift through um, these sorts of clouds of ambiguity in our language to to come to a shared thing. I would love to have the world uh, get the idea that we don't transmit information. You don't open up somebody's brain and pour in some data, you know, that it's, uh, that all we can do is sort of paint a picture and have somebody interpret it. Mm -hmm. And then do a lot of checking in. So it seems like you're saying this. Is that what you mean? Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. Um, I've been doing a lot of like, strangely, I found myself talking to a lot of people who are just starting to get into public speaking or, you know, technical, doing tech talks and whatnot. Every single one of them has said, what how do I find ideas? You know, how do I find ideas on talks? Everyone's given this talk. And it's like, Maybe everyone is given a talk on the thing that you want to give a talk on, but that doesn't mean that every member, every person in the audience hasn't heard those talks. You know, or maybe the way that you're going to say it 
the, the, the unique you that you're bringing to this pile of information and the language you choose is what's going to connect with them. Or right. maybe they already heard the same exact talk, but they drifted out in this critical five minutes and now they're going to hear it again and now they're going to get it. You know, it's, well, and, uh, it's a repetition that, that we find, um, not I'll say like a, a greater truth, but, but maybe. I was yeah. thinking about the, the thing where you said your unique way of giving the talk and I, I imagine that there are a lot of folks besides me who feel like, um, well, I can't have something to add. This has been done and it's really hard to get that your unique approach is going to be useful to somebody. Mm -hmm. I guess that's a, a kind of imposter syndrome maybe. Yeah, I think it's something you have to, you really have to internalize and remind yourself of because, you know, we only live within our own experience. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're, we're central to every story. You know, we're the star of every story. Well, and we see all of our mistakes and all of our scripts and all of our weaknesses. We don't see that for other people. Yep. The way I got to sort of having faith that not really believing, I guess, but sort of having the willingness to convince myself over and over that I had something to offer mm -hmm. was to look around a lot of times at conferences and see people um, and see the value that they're providing and see, uh, I've talked about seeing um, fat people who are happy and enjoying themselves and that, that, okay, that's a criticism of my theory that I can't be fat and enjoy myself, right? Mm -hmm. This is a person who's worthwhile and not, uh, not a worthless person. So I can't be worthless for that reason because that would imply that they're worthless and that's not true, right? It's logic. Mm. Um, but also, you know, seeing people give conference talks and, and just questioning those theories. If this talk's been given before, does that mean I shouldn't do it? Well, here's an example of a talk that had been given before and this person should have done it. So no, that theory doesn't hold up. Just constantly criticizing the ideas in my head that are trying to stop me from doing anything. I don't know, did that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, it did. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's about the stories. Like what is our story and the story that we tell ourselves about our place in the world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, so I jokingly referred to myself as, you know, an extroverted introvert or vice versa, because, um, you know, I, I, I hate people. Uh-huh. I mean, <laughs> Yeah. I'm laughing, right? I mean, like, I don't really hate people. Um, you also love people. I love people. Yeah. And I like to be around people. And I like to interact with people. Except when, when you don't. <laughs> it's when I'm in a situation for too long where other people, the story that people are telling themselves about me becomes the dominant story. And it's not the my dominant, story. Dominant in your head, you mean? Yes. And that's when I want to go to the mountains, go for a long hike, go for a drive to the coast and not see anyone for 12 hours. And replace the story in your head with the one that you have about you. Exactly. Or the one you want to have about you on a good day. Yeah. Because I think, I don't know that, that 
the story that other people tell about me um, is more or less truthful about who I really am. But I think it's less interesting. It's less rich to me when, when I start listening to the story that someone else tells about me. Is this true for stories that are nice and flattering as well as stories that are not? Oh, I think it is because people think that I'm being nice and it's like, well, no, I was paid to be there. Or, you know, like, well, yes, but I was mad the whole time. Or I tripped and fell and that's why this series of events happened that made me look great. It was really because, you know, I'm a klutz. Right. You know, I, again, it's like I know that inner truth or the inner, you know, all of the blemishes of the nice things. But I also see the nice things in the negative stories that people tell. And I want to be in control of my own story. Definitely. You know what? You just reminded me of um, Alfie Cohn, Punished by Rewards. Hmm. Do you ever read that? No, I haven't. Um, I only read part of it because there are various uh, things about it that are hard for me to read. But but the the basic idea um, is that uh, the basic idea is that both praise and punishment are um, harmful to kids. And they're harmful in that exact way that you're talking about, like messing with their self-definition, mm -hmm. their ability to write their own story. Um, and he uh, and some other folks who, who sort of take this approach recommend talking to kids in a way that preserves their agency. Mm -hmm. So instead of um, telling you wow, you're so smart. When you give a, a talk and you tell me something technical, I tell you, I really learned a lot from that thing you sold me, right? And that, because that's information I have that I, that I learned a lot. I don't really know if you're smart and I'm not going to set myself up as the arbiter of that for you, mm -hmm. but I can own that I learned things and that I can own that I'm grateful. Um, and you were talking about being sort of exhausted by being around a lot of people who have a story about you. Mm -hmm. It feels like that's really related. Like, uh, it can feel like it's closing in when you're surrounded by people who want to tell you who you are and instead of just telling you who they are and then letting you define your own story. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, that confinement, limits what we're willing to attempt and what we're what we are able to say yes to in life and you know i i will have regrets as i go through life i certainly do about choices i've made or um, paths that i can no longer take that are closed to me now but i've done so many things that I think are really exciting and interesting that don't fit together into a coherent narrative. Um, Unless you write one. Or right. One. So like, uh, you know, people who don't know me, um, I didn't go to school for computer science. 
I went to school for uh, performance production to do lighting and set design. And I only accidentally became a software developer to pay the bills. Um, you know, I've done all these weird and crazy things. I took a year off from programming and went and played poker. That's all I did for a year. <laughs> Four or five nights a week, I was in a card room somewhere. And it's those are fun stories at parties, you know, but at the same time, like that doesn't, how do those sorts of things weave into the narrative of being a software developer? You know, they don't necessarily, it's up to me to do that work to, to integrate them. Right. And for, I think a really interesting meta narrative about who I am and what I'm willing to say yes to. Um, I don't, I, I've been struggling this with, I, I just recently started a new job and gosh, everybody on my team is an expert at databases and networking. And I'm not, you know, and, and I kind of realized for the first couple of weeks, I was putting myself in the box of, well, I'm just the Ruby expert. You know, I'm just the one who knows all the insides of Active Record or Rails or, you know, bits of JavaScript. Um, but no, I can, I can learn these other things. I just have to decide that, well, it's not this, where I am is not necessarily who I am. You know, I'm not unable to go learn these things. I just haven't yet. And I saw this with, um, students when I was teaching at Ada developers Academy too, where there was a moment that they all had to go through of changing their self-narrative from I am somebody right. who is studying programming to I am a programmer, I am a software developer. And that's that's a, that's a journey. That's a, that's a real personal hero journey they have to go through. I feel like that narrative has to change all the time. I notice it just over and over. I'll find myself stuck somewhere or frustrated or not knowing what to do or not feeling like I can. Mm -hmm. And I, it's again, telling myself that I, that I'm only this much. Right. And I, and I let go of another little limitation that I put on myself and then I can do one more thing. I don't know. There's the um, famous Audre Lorde quote. If I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. Ooh. And I've, and that, that it sits there in my brain when I think about, I need to get away from people because they're telling my story, you know, they're defining me and I need to like find, find myself. Um, there's another quote and I've, I've never been able to find out who, I can, I can never find the source of it, but it was this idea that we define ourselves in silence. Um, and that it was only, it was only in our, the silence of ourselves when we're left alone and can only speak to ourselves that we, the only person putting definitions around us then in that moment is ourselves. And what's that story about? What, what are we capable of when it's just ourselves telling us you can do this or you can't do this. And I want to be the one that, that tells me yes, always 
you ever find you're the one who's telling you no? All you're the, the one telling yourself you can't do it? Yeah, more than, I, you know, I'm human. <laughs> Certainly. Um, but to if we if I limit myself that way, that's that's uh, and I'll I'll say this badly, but it's it's limiting, you know, the Buddha inside me, you know, the, the potential that I have to to be to transcend those sorts of things. Um, if I and that's disrespectful to the the wonder that I am if I'm otherwise limiting myself. So it's a struggle. It's a struggle to always say, yes, you can do it, and to, to speak to yourself in those those tones, so not I'm smart or I'm dumb, as you're saying, but I worked really hard on that talk. You know, somebody learned something from that. I learned something from giving that talk. I learned something from working on that project. So often when I'm shut down and constricted, it's because I'm not paying attention to the to the parts that I like. Mm -hmm. Like I, I forget, you know, um, people talk about gratitude practice. To me, that's basically, uh, I mean, it, it sounds sort of esoteric, but it's really just taking a second to notice what, uh, what's bringing me joy right now. You know, after a talk, I can sit there and I can be like, wow, I stumbled over this part. I forgot to say this thing. I you know, went over, I didn't talk long enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I can also say, you know, that the person who nodded at the important part in the, in the third row really got it or, you know, afterwards I can focus on actually listening to feedback where someone says it changed something for them, or I can focus on, I can blow that off and focus on something I screwed up. Mm -hmm. Um, and paying attention to the stuff you screwed up is not the same thing as, as putting your focus there and ignoring the good stuff. This is really interesting. And it, what you said, it's disrespectful to the wonder that is me or something like that. That was yeah. really amazing. Well, yeah, I, my own spirituality is, you know, in line with a number of different sources and it's I think <laughs> yeah. we're all you know well, we're here to observe the universe and, and celebrate it and go with that and uh, yeah I knew I liked something about you <laughs> I should be seeing it yeah I'm a recovering druidic Wiccan Buddhist Seventh-day Advent raised <laughs> Catholic church attending synagogue worshiping person, I guess. I have literally never heard anyone else say that. <laughs> yeah, I grew up um, going to, uh, I would say, Northern Baptist Church, um, sort of a, a universalist, a Unitarian church. And Wait a minute, Northern Baptist is Unitarian Universalist? No, I don't really know what, what to what to. <laughs> it as there's one congregation in my hometown and they're not part of any larger church you know um and it's just but when i talk about it people are like oh that sounds baptist or that sounds like this advent or this sounds like seventh day advent and i'm like i have no idea what it was it was just the church down the street right 
Um, it was a union church, really, union congregationalist. But most of my extended family is Seventh-day Advent. So I went to a lot of Seventh-day Advent wow. Bible camps. I had friends who were Catholic, and I loved going to Catholic Mass. Oh, my God, it was beautiful. Right? It's beautiful. And, you know, it's everything is designed so that you feel small in the face of the Godhead, but in a like a loving way, or it's supposed to be in a loving way, I guess, you know. I, I went into a cathedral. Uh, I, get, I think I was visiting DC, maybe it's the <laughs> National Cathedral. And I remember saying to the person I was with, I was like, whoa, you know, maybe I'm Catholic. <laughs> this was many years ago. And the response was, you know, they take this stuff seriously. <laughs> Since then, I have I have described myself much like you do. Um, Buddhist, atheist, Jewish, Christian, Baha'i, occasionally Wiccan, uh, Discordian. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that same person sometimes would say to me, you know, they would kill you. Because I thought it would be cool to build a cabin in the foothills of Appalachia in southern Ohio. Yeah. Cathedrals are amazing, aren't they? They really are. And it's, I can, even though I don't follow their faith, I can still appreciate, you know, the human effort that goes into designing them and building them and the sacrifices that are made to create this beautiful space. And there's a psychic energy not in a woo psychic, like I can't like feel it or anything like that, but like there is, there's like a, you know, like the, the, the investment of human energy into an enterprise brings. It's a thing, right? It's got yeah, like that. There's something wonderful about that and respectful. And, you know, it's again, like if I, if I can't respect that, like how can I respect it in myself and vice versa? You know, there has to be this, this balance between, you know, the interior and the exterior um, generosity. I really want to keep going, but I know we're out of time. So, um, because I put a stopwatch up. <laughs> well, we can uh, keep going. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay. Just to finish up, would you like to give a shout out to something that you are reading, playing, watching, listening to, otherwise consuming. It doesn't have to be your favorite thing of all time, just whatever's on your nightstand, so to speak. Sure. Um, I just finished reading this fantasy book, and I don't usually read a lot of fantasy. Um, I actually tend to read more nonfiction than, than fiction these days. And uh, But I read this fabulous fantasy book called uh, The Traitor Baru Cormorant. And it's a fantasy novel about a young woman who, um, whose homeland is taken over by this, this evil empire from across the sea. And she has a particular gift for numbers. And so she decides, not that she's you know, the chosen one with a magical gift or a magic sword or anything. No, she's going to take them down through tax policy. <laughs> And it's a fabulous book. It's absolutely like just I've never read a a a, a, hero, a, a such a great heroine who was also just like 
very it was very practical and and um, using that kind of that kind of thing you know it's it's not the small small band of rebels breaking into the palace and doing something magic right. to get you know the thing no no we're just gonna like we're gonna tweak the tax rates on clay that'll bring down the empire eventually those little a, well that's a spoiler Never well that'd be a spoiler <laughs> uh, but but just that that conceit is very um I just think it's fa fabulous, um, and it fits in with my personal love of. There, there was a time when I thought I was going to be a historian, like that. I was like, actually, like, man, this theater thing is going to work out. I better, I better have a backup career, historian. <laughs> that's where I want to make my money. Um, yeah. So I actually I read a lot of biographies and histories, um, and I'm working through um, a life project right now to read all um, biographies on all the American presidents and founding fathers, and so I'm working through this massive three volume biography of Teddy uh, Roosevelt and I'm on the third volume each volume is like 800 900 pages and ridiculous but um, you're kind of a nerd I really am <laughs> and, and there's, like there's no end to the things that interest me that I want to go read about um, I will give my shout out to space 1999 yeah because I discovered it on Hulu. <laughs> and I think I might have watched it as a kid. Mm -hmm. I would have been very little, I'm sure. Uh, I don't know what year it came out, but it's quite amusing. I watched the first episode of Battlestar Galactica recently, and then I saw Space 1999 pop up. Mm -hmm. it's, it's super fun. It's amazingly watchable. I mean, it, sometimes old stuff. I went back and played Ocarina of Time not too long ago and it was horrible but like the controls everything was horrible but this is pretty watchable so thank you for for coming and talking with me it was really thank you for talking with me really nice you've been listening to the geek joy podcast our guest has been carrie miller the music is limehouse by django reinhardt and I'll let Carrie tell you a little more about him before I play this song. Um, he plays what's sometimes referred to um, as uh, gypsy jazz. Um, it's a sort of style of this very just exuberant, freeform, um, expressive jazz guitar um, that, was, that was just the rage in the 30s, especially in uh, Paris where he was playing. And... The interesting thing about him is he was he was born um, Romani, and there was a fire when he was young and burned the entire camp encampment down, and it permanently disfigured his left hand, uh, which he used for the fretboard on a guitar. So he only had use of um, three of his fingers, uh, his thumb and his his two uh, index finger and middle finger, um, which completely. If you're a guitarist, you would never be able to play, um, but he figured it out like. And he played, he invented this style that took advantage of what was this disfigurement um, and did things on a guitar that is just, you know, people are still trying to figure out, you know, like he's like the Jimi Hendrix of, of that time and, and place. And his music is just so explosively happy at times. And, and it just has all of this, like, the energy and of, of the time you know, this sort of decadent 30s in uh, Western Europe combined with, you know, all of his cultural background of coming from 
Romani and um, expressing that like there's there's all of that musical tradition is coming out so like the Romani folk music coming into jazz and what is essentially popular music of the time it's a really interesting blend of uh, all these influences Django Reinhardt Limehouse mm -hmm. 